Hi everyone and welcome to this month's edition of the Influential Times. We're, we're sort of mixing it up, we're living that hybrid um, hybrid working lifestyle so we're back to remote this week and we are going to be talking about all of the biggest stories in social and influence this week. So to kick us off my lovely assistant Tom is going to talk <laughs> you through uh, some stories about uh, TikTok's creator program. Yeah, I was going to say we've got a, a got a few bits to catch up on, Jack, because I think I don't know if we did. I don't think we did one in December, so there's probably a good few weeks worth of news to to catch up on in our space. Um, but yeah, some news from TikTok or some yeah some commentary, I guess, around what's been happening there. Obviously, Jack, we talked last year about. Um, the pledge from from a few of the social media companies to sort of pay creators and there was almost a, a sort of fund allocated from each of them from you know likes of meta and tiktok etc um to put towards creators because obviously clearly creator generated content is super important for those platforms and there's been a little bit of a criticism of tiktok and the way that their kind of model is working um you know question marks on how effective these initiatives are going um, there's been issues with with you know certain influencers getting particularly low payouts when you look in comparison with their followings and also there's been some difficulty with actually getting the funds paid etc so a couple of issues there um, one of the examples was a YouTube star called Mr Beast um, he's one of the biggest YouTubers and he earned 54 million dollars last year not not a bad not a bad earning but actually only 15k of that came from TikTok so um, but he's got 32 million followers on TikTok, so I guess it's not really relative to what he's, uh, you know, his following on there. Um, so I think one of the concerns for TikTok here is that, um, you know, they, they don't really have a, their sort of revenue share model, it doesn't work quite the same as how platforms like YouTube do it. And, you know, over time they do risk the, you know, they do, they do risk, um, run the risk of losing talent to YouTube, Meta, Snapchat, other platforms like that. Um, so yeah, interesting that the I guess the, the the model is up and running, Jack, but perhaps not running as smoothly as or there's a few sort of kinks to iron out in that process. Yeah, agreed. I think there's there's sort of a long held tradition or well long held. It seems like over the last couple of years, YouTube is often where sort of people who make a start somewhere else end up because it seems to be the the place where it's easiest to monetize fans. You, you tend to get a sort of ad read almost mm. that's that's a good length. So for advertisers that's attractive. You know, if, if a lot of a lot of creators will sort of have a sponsor for their video and, and there'll be, you know, maybe 60 to 90 seconds of ad read for that, uh, often kind of smoothly in the in the middle of a video. And so I think maybe advertisers have the most confidence in that as a as a sort of established and mature um model. Um so not surprising that TikTok is struggling. It's just it's it is just a hard thing to get right, and I think mm. you can see that from the fact that like lots of platforms have struggled, and that you know now that the sort of initial battle for creators has died down, you know it, it's kind of now just about executing well. I think for all of these platforms in terms of you know what's the functionality that's going to keep users engaged, and what's the functionality that you're going to be able to ship to kind of you know generate an edge in terms of your your experience for creators and, and what are the tools that they have to kind of manage you know how do they grow their following how do they monetize their following how do they uh for example you know help to to sort of manage their mental health while they're 
online, that's obviously a big concern. Um, you know, I think part of the picture is going to be, uh, or, or one area where some platforms could really develop an edge is if they are smart about uh, that those sorts of tools. Like, how do you filter out negative comments? You know, we've we've talked recently about YouTube um, sort of hiding the dislike counts, sort of yeah. try and stop those nasty pylons. And I think that's quite an interesting uh, strand of all of this. Um, yeah, yeah, will be will be kind of who who gains the edge. But speaking of functionality, your second story uh, is about another uh, someone else. Well, copying functionality broadly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't think it's it's been no real secret um, that LinkedIn have been developing an, a kind of virtual event space, um, which we obviously heard a bit about last year. But it's actually they're basically doing it in a kind of uh, phased approach. So they're going to launch an audio only product. Um, actually, I think it went out in beta testing in January, um, and then they're going to move across to video in the spring, which I think is actually quite a smart move because it means they can sort of test it out. They can see what kind of you know how the sessions are going and what kind of attendance they're getting. There's also a question around ticketing and paid and things like that. But then they'll move more towards video. Um, but also, and I think this is really interesting for our industry, Jack, and what we do, because I think, you know, we've we've seen how well LinkedIn Live has been utilized by our clients and how people like that sort of live, like content format, like it's quite natural, it's not too staged, you get some really good, interesting conversations going. And I think um, it's kind of probably the evolution of that to the next stage. Um, so I think it's been really interesting. And actually their product manager, Jack Poses, um, he was quoted saying that, the idea of this ultimately is they just want to make it far easier to uh, for creators to host um, virtual roundtables, fireside chats, those kinds of form content formats, mm. um, which I think is really interesting. Um, on the ticketing side of things, because I know I think we we possibly had a story last year that was around that question of ticketed events and things. Interestingly, it seems LinkedIn are going going to go more towards you know it being free to start with. I think. Yeah probably just get people, you know, get people adopting it, get people signing up to sessions, get creators um, running sessions. I think the challenge then will be um, on the creator side, a bit like what I was saying about TikTok, you know, you obviously have to make sure creators are incentivized and motivated to run the sessions. Otherwise there isn't a product there. So I think, yeah, get people on there, get people adopted, but also then there's probably going to be a strategy of how they're going to you know, reward creators over time for those, you know, interesting sessions. Yeah, I think I think the other piece, then the other sort of side of that coin is the user experience as an ordinary user is, you know, how are you going to different, what will differentiate this from, you know, the absolutely astronomic other bits of screen time we're all clocking up uh, over the last two years and kind of how are you going to make, how are you going to introduce those dynamic elements? And I think, you, know, you see lots of people get creative with the way they use Q&A, the way they use, you know, the sort of chat functions in meetings. But I mean, I guess maybe an interesting question for you as a sort of uh, as a user of events, maybe as a, you know, as one of our sales leads is, you know, could you see yourself actually at this point picking up, you know, kind of having those meetings or, you know, where you, you get chatting to someone at an event? Mm. Um, I guess the question is, you know, what functionality do you think they'd have to have to to really yeah replicate that part of the experience you know we just meet and chat to people and make mm. make connections i think it's i think 
where they've got a great opportunity with it, I think there's a couple of aspects. I think one is the fact that they are LinkedIn. So they've got their 800 million user base. And, you know, we all go and you know, log into LinkedIn every day and we use it for, in all of our different respective roles and departments for different things. So I think everyone kind of like will have a LinkedIn account. That's one advantage. I think secondly, the fact that they've kind of maybe waited and watched the virtual event space play out over the last two years and like we've we've seen it where things have fallen down like clubhouse didn't you know has obviously fallen away a little bit there's we've certainly attended some virtual events and they've maybe not been as good as what we thought they'd be so i guess they've kind of learned a lot about where some of the pitfalls have happened and like you say they can maybe put together a really good product which suits salespeople where they can actually genuinely connect with someone or spark, you know spark a conversation in a separate room or i don't know they'll probably be some really cool functionality that will benefit different personas that would want to join the sessions. Um, so I think the fact they've sat back and watched everything unfold probably puts them in a really strong position, plus the fact they are LinkedIn and they've got that user base. Yeah, got a, a really established user base. They've got a really established set of tools for people who like to network, like you know, recruitment professionals, sales professionals, marketers yep. who will want to network and talk and you've you know you've almost got the new business card is your linkedin profile in that exactly. scenario you you've you're kind of in someone's rolodex as it were forever so um yeah we'll have to we'll have to see how they they get on i'm kind of yeah ultimately to me nothing will ever sort of quite replicate just you know going and standing in an office i've never been in before in some part of london i don't visit very often and eating some some free pizza at someone's expense and listening to a talk and, and kind of just chatting to people afterwards. But that's not to say it's, um, you know, we don't get value. You know, I attended a meetup last week uh, for product professionals where, you know, we were able to hear from someone in based in Australia. And that kind of thing is just you can't you can't do in person. And it's nice that actually it has sort of the last couple of years has reminded us that we can still connect with people at scale. Yeah, um, so, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, we are we are lucky to have the tech we we do. Even 10, 20 years ago, this pandemic would not have been nearly as bearable. I think. <laughs> that's so, definitely in, true. In, in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, so my my first story, I've got two to talk about um, this month. The first one is Twitter, a sort of you know to to, to keep on the theme of of the major social platforms and the kind of functionality that they're rolling out. Twitter are uh, sort of maturing the creator, the sort of, yeah, what the creator accounts or the professional or business accounts into this kind of tier that they're calling professional accounts. And it's bringing together a lot of the strands. I think the super follow, the sort of newsletter format, the about section, the business profile, all of that, I think, is it, from what I can tell from the announcement. And I'll link to it in the we'll link to it in the um, in the newsletter, as always um so so by all means sort of feel free to peruse this if you're listening and, and see if you think i've kind of got the right impression but what it looks like is they're pulling all of that together into a sort of solid tier and i guess maybe a little bit like the way that there is linkedin premium and then there is a sales you know navigator product there is a recruiter product there's kind of a suite of marketing tools possibly they're kind of thinking that way and it looks like they're talking about business for example, so if you are a business, you can have your shop there um, in the way that Instagram has has also kind of integrated some of that. So 
tricky one for for Twitter because I think unlike LinkedIn or or Instagram to an extent, they don't have that sort of specialization of what mm. people are there for in quite the yeah. same way. Brands, yeah, although they have to be there, sort of newsy, thought leadery people have to be there. Professionals are often there because that's kind of where the the actual back and forth conversation is going. Um, so yeah tricky i don't know i don't know if you've had a chance to, to sort of yeah any of... it's it's an interesting one like i think it's definitely an interesting move from twitter and like some of the things they're doing i think they definitely it's definitely really important to uh, yeah create more of a i guess help people to create more of a business profile on the platform so i think if we think about twitter it's always been kind of you're either a verified account or you're not and that's kind of been the only kind of distinction and yeah there's there's lots of you know bot accounts and it can be quite like noisy as well but i think just to add that extra element of like on the business side i think will will definitely help um and i'm sure there'll be lots of features that will be rolled out to yeah to support that as well yeah i guess they're you know they're continuing to act in in the in the spirit of of trying you know innovate and test things fleets for example kind of flopped i don't think anyone there would really deny it and you know ultimately maybe these things when you know all of these companies are publicly listed so it's sometimes seen as more of a drama than it really is whereas to those of us in the software industry we know that's what it's like sometimes you kind of you launch a feature you try yeah. it it doesn't have the effect you you expected and when you've got such a large user base and and so many important and kind of busy people and and people all trying to use your your software for so many different things use it that's just kind of normal um yeah, yeah exactly that's kind of how of those, they they kind of when they announced that fleets was going it was kind of their their attitude wasn't it it was kind of like it's going and you know that's just that's just how it is um it's not really it's not really a big deal um it yeah didn't quite work out how they maybe envisaged yeah and uh yeah uh, i suppose maybe maybe this is just kind of me going soft on other product professionals uh and kind of trying to trying to take their corner but um there we go um Spotify's product team, um, on the other hand, are at the other end of that cycle. They are they're launching something new, um, which is, I think, quietly quite a big deal in social audio and particularly podcasting because the sort of ability to crack ads on on podcasts is is quite a tricky one. The targeting is often not very good and is sort of it's based on. So it's based on sort of topical interests and a lot of guessing about what an audience for a podcast might be interested in. And Spotify have a lot of data comparatively about their users compared to, to some sort of um, other podcast platforms. And they've kind of got the clout to try and yeah. build more, more tools for hosting and kind of using a podcast. So something that they've just brought in is an actual sort of clickable ad within the app. So if you've got your podcast up on uh, phone for example you're listening to it you'll actually have a kind of sponsorship tile overlaid on the podcast as you listen to it with a click through to a to a sort of given link uh, which i think is quite an interesting step it's kind of almost bringing podcast advertising into the 21st century a little bit with with sort of targeting and, and the detail but i think if it does work it mm. could see it could see sort of spotify quickly picking up more market share as it just becomes the sort of the platform that's cracked advertising i suppose unfortunately apple are well ahead of them in terms of market share of the podcasting business um in terms of where the users are 
and this is not i mean maybe i'm wrong do do get in touch if you know that i'm wrong but <laughs> this is not a particularly difficult feature to replicate so you could yeah of course clubhouse clubhouse syndrome it's like oh that's a good idea we'll have that yeah, it's a really, it's a really, it's a really interesting one actually. The podcast thing, like, I guess from my perspective, I listen to quite a few podcasts, and I've, I've found well, and you are a podcast. Well, yeah, I yeah, exactly. I run a podcast as well, so I guess I see it from both sides. I think I found myself when I know there's a there's a podcast I listen to that have like two or three adverts at the start, and you can quite easily skip the the adverts, right? They're not, they doesn't force yeah. you. Not it's not like YouTube where you have to listen to a part, at least a part of it, and then skip it it's kind of part yeah. of the audio track right so i find myself skipping that part there's a there's an advert in the middle which is actually quite effective because it's the people who run the podcast actually doing the advert so i actually find yeah. that quite good and it's quite relatable because it's clearly like i'm the demographic for that um because it's a football podcast that i listen to um so that works quite well um i guess like on the phone like to, would people be looking at it all the time i'm not sure but I, I can see the value because I'm sure there's people who will say I find adverts really annoying on podcasts and I'd rather see the advert on my phone and and you know it's and then it's that I guess brand you know um, repetition and over time you kind of you will see it. Um, Not to mention if you're if you're the the showrunner of the podcast, the attribution is then clearly from you. There's a yes. kind of tracking yeah, yeah, on yeah. that link rather than you have to read out a code that people use to get x off for attribution which people might not do you know you might be generating great brand awareness for a brand by doing the ad read but just because people don't go and buy that day that doesn't mean they didn't actually come from your your yeah. podcast so in terms of actually proving your value to to advertisers it could be a bit of a breakthrough yeah yeah no definitely yes yeah, uh it's very interesting yeah, so probably not the biggest uh, story for for Spotify and podcasting uh, that they've had this month with the, the sort of scandal they've um, gotten themselves embroiled in um, <laughs> with Mr. Rogan. But I think a sort of quietly interesting one for those of us who follow for kind of marketers who are interested in in podcasts as a way to reach their audience, um, and I think one to one to kind of keep an eye on the bonus link this month actually is is similar to that it's a little bit old but i think worth listening to it's from right at the end of last year uh from it's a link to another podcast in fact uh by recode media someone called peter kafka uh, they're part of the vox media group and it's just an overview of the year in podcasting everything that's happened it actually touches on joe rogan um the the guests that they have on estimates that he's possibly lost as much as half of his audience by moving to to spotify um, which I thought was interesting, uh, but a really good overview of kind of everything that's been going on in podcasting recently. Um, all of the all of the things to be to be sort of keeping an eye on. Um, so yeah, look out for that in the newsletter, and we will see you all again in, in a month's time. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening.